separated from the mention of your name. Your anointing, your ability, and your presence is connected. Hallelujah. So we thank you. We believe and thank you for the opportunity of speaking a name that is above every name. Hallelujah. Whatever we are praying for, whatever you are praying for, as we stand here in the house of God tonight, amen. Let's lift up the name of the Lord and let's speak his name over situations and people. We need to pray for Sister Christy Andreas, who's trying to recover from kidney stones. And so we want God to continue to do a work in her heart and life, along with this week's prayer request and every request that is represented here in this place. Why don't you lift up your voice right now together? Let's unify in prayer. God, we thank you and praise you for your blessing and goodness and your anointing. We agree together in the house of God that you are great, amen, and that you are worthy. And so we bring every request to you. We bring every petition to you. And we pray that you are a God that responds to it. We will give you thanks. Hallelujah. We will praise you and thank you for your many, many blessings that you give to us. Hallelujah. We thank you for what you have done. We thank you for what you are doing. Praise God. And we thank you for what you are going to do. Hallelujah. Let's thank him together and praise him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I praise you and thank you and worship you. Amen. Praise God. If you have your Bibles, let's stand for the reading of the word. Amen. There's a lot that's going to take place this weekend, and that is a launching of a new ministry. And so there's been quite a few changes to make that happen. <clears throat> and we've had to move resources around to make sure that there's not a hole in any one particular area. And so Sunday morning, if you are in the class from 12, if you're in the age of 12 to 15, 12 to 15, you will be having class in the youth center. It will be upstairs in the youth center and you will go directly to class. So there will not be any dismissal here in the main sanctuary. So for those that are 12 to 15, class in the youth center. And for those that are 16 and older, they have been activated in different ministries in different areas. Some of them will be working in children's ministry. Some of them will be working in Spanish ministry. And the remaining will be here in the house of God. Thank God for solid and powerful young people. Praise God. We need to thank God for that. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Come on, really, put your hands together. We need to thank God for that. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. And so... For those people that we will be losing from here in the sanctuary, we will be replacing with young people. Young people, I want you to commit to me. If you are going to be here in the sanctuary on Sunday morning, make sure that you are up front. All right? Some, somebody say amen. Praise God. Usually on Sunday morning, we dismiss the classes and half the building leaves and the splash zone is empty. You know what a splash zone is? The splash zone is empty. And so we hope that there's some that fill up some of the spots in the splash zone and help us on Sunday morning have revival. How about that? Praise God. Hallelujah. Again, thank you very, very much. Thank you, Billy Casey, for helping us uh, do all of that. That is a little bit of a shift. Actually, it's a huge shift. And um, it's the area of service and day that if young people are ever going to get involved in ministry, Sunday is that day. And so if you're 16 and above, 
get involved in the work of God. Praise God. So we're very, very happy and excited about that. Thank you very much, young people. Once again, let's give them a hand clap of appreciation. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. So all of that is happening Sunday, and we will be leaving Sunday for Summit, which is a meeting, an annual meeting, and we have to be there for meetings, and so we have to leave early on Sunday because it takes a full day to get there, and so we're heading that way. Bishop is speaking at that particular conference, um, so we're both going to be gone. So what I'm saying is all hands on deck, okay, Sunday, and just rock the house. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. Have revival. Have a move of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Let God do great things. Praise God. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 13. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 13. Amen. We've been talking the last two Tuesday nights about the highway of holiness. And last week we talked about separated to serve. And so we're talking about how holiness is a separation and also a dedication. But I want to take a break from that. It's still connected. What I'm going to uh, teach tonight is, is very, very much connected because you, you really can't understand some of the other things that we're talking about if this component is not understood. And that is the Holy Ghost that is absolutely so vitally important to our walk with God. Second Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 13. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. This is an Old Testament reference to Moses and the anointing of God that was on his life at a particular time in their history. But it's also talking about the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So we want to go back and look in Exodus chapter 34 and verse number 29 and see exactly what Paul is talking about to the church at Corinth. And we want to entitle this tonight, Shine, Shine. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your blessing and goodness. We ask that you would direct us. Amen. Thank you for your word. It's a strength to us and an encouragement to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. We pray, amen. Praise God. Give the band a hand clap of appreciation. Amen. No Mark McAllister here tonight. Good job, guys. Fantastic. Amen. I'm giving you words of affirmation. You're doing great. Very, very proud of you. Exodus chapter 34 and verse 29 is the story when Moses comes down from Mount Sinai with two tables of testimony in his hand. He comes down from the mount. He did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh him. And Moses called unto them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned unto him. And Moses talked with them. And afterward, all the children of Israel came nigh, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. Until Moses had done speaking with him, he put a veil on his face. But when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off until he came out. And he came out and spake unto the children of Israel that which he was commanded. And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses. 
that the skin of Moses' face shone, and Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went in to speak with him. This is very, very thematic about the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. In this particular case, they're seeing something that is something that they have not seen before. It is the shining of God's authority and his presence, and it shines through Moses' visage and face, and he had to put a veil over that. So there is in the Old Covenant a covering or a veil. It's not complete. Something is not completed. It's going to be complete. So you go back into the Old Testament and you see these elements that help us understand that there is a fulfillment that is coming from the Old Testament and there is going to be a completion in one and the one that comes to do that is Jesus Christ. But at this point, in this particular case, during this historical event, this is Moses coming down after the failure of Israel to be patient. And Moses is interceding on the behalf of them because they have erected a golden calf and they have worshipped this idol. And so Moses, when he comes down from the mountain after interceding with God, he is bearing the credentials of a time with God on his very face. And the people see this. They see that reflected glory on his face and they are astonished. They're afraid to come nigh unto him. Their fear is from a sense of guilt, this beaming radiance of his countenance that made him appear to their awestruck consciences as a flaming minister of heaven. They're seeing the anointing of God in a way that is unveiled and it is powerful and they're not used to this. And so Moses veils the anointing and power of God. Let me just say real quick, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I'm thankful that God God does not veil or cover or obstruct his power and his ability to us today, but we have the opportunity of seeing his power and his ability without a middle wall of partition that stops us from going into the holy of holies. At Calvary, it was torn from the top and to the bottom. It was removed, and that means that each and every one of us, based on the work of Calvary, we don't need a high priest that goes in for us because Jesus Christ is the high priest and he went in before us and then he tore down the veil praise God you can come to the house of God tonight and lift up your hands and worship God and there is nothing that is going to stop you from feeling his power and his ability thank God for that we need to thank God right now for the unveiled power of Jesus and his spirit that does a work in our life Praise God. Moses bore the credentials on his very face, and so he had to put a veil over his face. There was an importance. It's important to notice that this conversation and this intercession and this delivering of the oracles of God, the word of God, it's connected to the word of God, and that's part of the shining, that's part of the shine as he comes off the mountain, is the fact that he is carrying the words of God. Romans chapter 15 and verse number 4 speaks to us and says, Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. There's not a lot of hope in this world today, but the scriptures give to us hope. Hallelujah. Something in the future that we can reach out and 
and grab. Amen. The world is hopeless, but the word of God brings to us a hope, and it's through the comfort of the scriptures that we have a hope that maketh not ashamed. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15 says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 16, as also in all his epistles, speaking in, in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. The word of God is not to be distorted or changed. It's to be read publicly. It is to be mediated upon. It is a test of what is true and orthodoxy and true doctrine. It is the basis for preaching. It sets the limits of authoritative doctrine. The gospel is the word of God and it produces numerical and spiritual growth within the church. We need the word of God. Why was Moses' face shining? It's because the word of God had been imparted to him and when he came down off the mountain, it was the word of God that illuminated his face and countenance. The word of God is still able to do the same thing for us today. I'm thankful that I can come into the house of God and through the foolishness of preaching, God can illuminate some things in my life. If you're carrying around the burden of the world and everything that happens during the day, you need the word of God to bring to you clarity and illumination in a world that is so very, very dark. Thank God for a light that shines. How does it shine? It shines through the word of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. It clears the way. Sometimes it's murky. Sometimes we can't see. But the song said, the anchor holds. What is the anchor? The anchor is the word of God. It produces these things. This is the reason why Moses' face shines. Acts chapter 6 and verse 7, and the word of God increased. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of priests were, were obedient to the faith. The word of God increased. Acts 12 and 24, the word of God grew and multiplied. In Acts chapter 13, verse 49, and the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. This is the work of the early church. Acts chapter 19, verse 20, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. When there's an attack and there is a, a move to overcome, amen, there is a word that is able to prevail. Sometimes when you're in the middle of difficulty, the word of God gives you the strength to hang on and to prevail. Not just to hang on and prevail and hold on, but to move forward. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 5, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bring it forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day you heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. The word of God is powerful. It brings illumination. And Moses was the first witness and his witness covered from the law all the way to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was the second 
witness. Praise God. That first mention of the shining is connected to the word of God. Before we move on here, thank God for Bible quizzing. The reason why that is so important to us and the reason why it's more than just a game and trophies is because we recognize in a world that we live in that we need to teach our children and put the word of God into their heart because there is nothing more powerful and that can prevail against the winds of the world that will come in. Praise God. They will know we have a grounding for our worldview, and it is on the Scripture. Someone might say, well, I don't agree with the Scripture. Well, that's okay because your grounding is somewhere else. But as for me and my house, it is based on the Scripture, and it's not confusing. It is truth, and it's not weak. It's powerful, and it's not limited. It is unlimited. And so when you face the difficulties and vicissitudes of life, there is something that brings strength to you. God. So Moses was the first mention of the shine on his face from the anointing of God. Jesus is going to be the completion or fulfillment of that old covenant that we read in this text verse where Paul is saying it had to be veiled. And the Old Testament was like that. The old law and the ceremonial law and everything else was like the glory of God, but veiled. They couldn't see clearly. And even to the Corinthians, he said, even the Jews now. They cannot see clearly. They rejected Jesus. They do not see him as the fulfillment and the completion. And so there is still a veil over their face. They, they can't see through that. And then thank God for truth. Praise God. I'm, I'm not. <laughs> Before coming to God, I was looking through something. It was very murky. But when I came to God and God did amazing things in my life, things got cleared out of the way. And I really had the opportunity to see things as they really are. The devil will try to obscure. He'll try to mask. He'll try to do all kinds of things to be an obstruction to you. But when the light shines in the darkness and Jesus shines through all of that stuff and you have a transforming experience in your life, it rips away all of that murkiness and you really recognize and see what redemption is and salvation is and sanctification is and justification is and the power of Calvary. Amen. And so Jesus comes on the scene and he's going to be the second mention. He's going to be the completion of the old covenant. And there's going to be a second mention and it's found in Matthew chapter 17 verses 1 through 8. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 17 verse number 1. After six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart. <clears throat> and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him, and then, then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here if thou wilt. Let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice <clears throat> out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. 
So there's representation in this passage of Scripture of, ironically, Moses, who was the first mentioned, and Elijah, two very, very prominent prophets that were very, very important, and they are transfigured here before the disciples. And the disciples want to stay right there. They want to make some tabernacles because they feel the anointing and strength. His face is shining like an angel, no doubt. This is significant and connected to Moses' face after visiting with Yahweh. And so his body is glowing during this transfiguration. And he is metaphorically denoting to the disciples, you have been in the presence of God. This is where we read our text about the veil. The face of Jesus shining is a reflection that the word or Yahweh spoke to Moses and has now become like Moses and was in the midst of his people. And yet, John said, there is one that is greater than Moses that is in your midst. Moses is there to represent something that is old, but there is one that is greater than Moses. Amen. Moses was great, and he has significance in the history of the Hebrews. Elijah was great as a prophet, and he has significance in the history of the Hebrews. But when Jesus arrives on the scene, there is one that is greater than Moses and greater than Elijah because Jesus is God manifested in the flesh. There is a difference. He is not just another teacher. He is not just another prophet. He is not just another man. He is the word that becomes flesh. He is the I am that spoke to Moses in the first place. He is the Yahweh that gave to him the word of God that sent him down the mountain. And now Jesus is walking in the midst of you and me and he's revealing his power and his ability. There is one that is greater. He is greater. Praise God. I just want to say that again. There's one that's greater than any power or ability in the world. There are gods, but they're little gods compared to the God because Jesus is greater. He's greater than any spirit. He is greater than any power. He's greater than any ability that the world tries to prop up. Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is omnipotent. Jesus is omnipresent. And Jesus is omnipowerful. Praise God. We need to reflect that. God's greater. God's greater. I may be going through struggles, but God is greater. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the alpha and the beginning and the end. He's everything in between. I'm serving a great God. Hallelujah. Come on. You're serving a great God. <laughs> Hallelujah. He's greater than this world. He's greater than your flesh. He is greater than everything, and he will respond to you in your time of need. Yes, he will. Hallelujah. God. There's a lot of idols in the world. I'm not pursuing idols. I'm pursuing Jesus. Hallelujah. There's a lot of superstars in the world. I'm not pursuing the superstars. I'm pursuing Jesus. You know why? Because a superstar can't heal me. And a hero can't forgive me. But Jesus... Woo! Jesus can. Praise God. Somebody say he's greater. Come on, say it like you mean it. Say he's greater. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the. Yeah. 
Praise God. This caused some problems. In one particular case, in John chapter 6 and verse number 41, the Jews murmured and said, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I am come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves, no man come to me except the Father which hath sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught, all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, he hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna. Here's that juxtaposition of one that is greater than Moses. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness. That's a Moses thing. That's an old covenant thing. And they are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I'm bringing something that is greater. I'm not bringing something that is going to die, pass away, but I'm bringing something that is eternal. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They were thinking he was talking about cannibalism. And then Jesus just kept piling it on. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. He was not talking about physically eating his flesh. He was not talking about them physically drinking his blood. He was symbolically talking about something that was greater than manna in the wilderness and something that was greater than wine and anything else associated with that. His blood is something that is powerful. And so when they heard heard that, this was very, very confusing to them. From that point, many disciples went back and walked no more with him. And Jesus said to his disciples, will you go away also? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the son of the living God. The word became flesh. Amen. First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. It's talking about Jesus and the work of Calvary. So in the Old Testament, the shine is the scripture. And now the shine is the word of God that is in Christ. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. This is the unveiling of the New Testament. He is coming to present a new covenant. And so there is a first mention, and then there is a second mention, and then there is a third mention. You can, you can do a whole Bible study with this because it perfectly connects every era from the old covenant, Jesus in between the old and the new, and he is fulfilling the old, and he is getting ready to launch something into the future. And the third witness <clears throat> projects into eternity. So where the old covenant was Moses up to Christ, and then Jesus was presenting the interim period where he is inaugurating the new covenant, the third witness is going to reveal that and then project that into eternity. Praise God. And the third witness is Stephen in the book of Acts. Stephen's speech in Acts chapter 7 is the longest recorded in Acts. 
and it breaks theological ground for Paul's understanding of the gospel's relationship to the Old Testament. Paul, or Saul, happens to be standing, and he is taking the coats of people that are listening to Stephen and then later try to stone him. And the charge against Stephen, there's some charges against Stephen, and the charges that they present is that God has spoken outside of the temple. This is problematic because they believe that the God is in the temple and the, the old covenant ceremonial law is still important. And now Stephen is charged with subverting that. And the Jews have always rejected God's message men, and now they have rejected the Messiah. And so Stephen is, is presenting his case. And at some point, he makes the people so angry that they gnash with their teeth, they grind their teeth, and they pick up stones, and they stone him. So in Acts chapter uh, 6, verse number 10, they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. And so they suborned men. They got together some men, and they said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. They stirred up the people and the elders. They caught him. They brought him before the council. They set up false witnesses. And they said, this man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place, the temple, and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. That's that veiling that they are presenting right here. And Stephen is one of those who, are, who is in the early church. Stephen has experienced the infilling of the Holy Ghost, the new birth message. He is one of the individuals that as the church grows, they have to have people and structure. And so they appoint Stephen to help with the expansion and the work of the church. And apparently he was also very, very wise. And he uh, knew his, his doctrine. And so they were not able to resist that wisdom that was coming from him. So they set him up. They basically set him up. And so they brought him before the council. And the scripture said in Acts chapter 6 and verse number 15, And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. So there was a shine that was on his face. And so Stephen has the opportunity to present his case. And Stephen, in this chapter, chapter number 7, gives to us a summary <laughs> of the theology of the scripture from Moses. Actually, even before that, he goes all the way back to Abraham very, very concisely, and he lays out his case. He talks about Abraham uh, coming out of the era of the Chaldees and the promise that God gave to him. He talks about Isaac, Jacob, and the 12 patriarchs, which become the 12 tribes. He talks about Joseph that was sold in slavery because of envy among his brothers. And then he talks about a famine that was in the land, and so this is why there was a move into Egypt. He talks about Egyptian bondage and then a Pharaoh that grew up that did not know Joseph. And then he talks about Moses being born into this environment, and he talks about Moses leading the children of Israel out, and they're wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. He talks about the oracles of God coming to them and the people rejecting that and forming an idol which is connected to that first mention. And then he talks about David and the significance of David and the kingship. And he got to verse number 47, and this is where they became very, very angry. Acts chapter 7 and verse 47. But Solomon built him an house. Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands. 
As saith the prophet, heaven is thy throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. That probably is translated very literally, but it means they were grinding their teeth in anger. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into the heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. That's a position and place of power. And said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witness laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Paul, this is very, very significant in, in Paul's development. While he is kicking against the pricks, this occurrence where he is contributing to the death of Stephen. He has stood there and he has listened to the entire message. It, became, it becomes a very seminal moment in his life and later in his theology as he puts all of this together and he realizes that Jesus is, in fact, God manifested in the flesh. And Stephen's illumination is a reflection of the Holy Ghost and the New Testament church that brings illumination and power. Praise God. On the inside of an individual, there's an anointing that shines forth. And the early church was a people that was full of the Holy Ghost. And there is an, um, there's a movement and there is an expansion and there is a forward movement. And that was on purpose to reflect through Paul's theology and then later our theology to eternity that the significance of the shine is that the Holy Ghost is operating in somebody's life. Moses, it was veiled. Jesus revealed the power. But in the New Testament church, he filled every individual with the Holy Ghost and there should be an illumination or a shine that comes out of every New Testament believer. You don't need to walk around with a look on your face as if you have nothing to offer to the world. That's not how the Holy Ghost works. The Holy Ghost is the shine on your face, the spirit and anointing of God that elevates you above the elements of the world that is significant and separated, sets you apart and people can see that and recognize that. You don't have to hide that. You don't have to put something over that. You don't have to mask that. You let that shine forth in illumination. Praise God. This is the power of the Holy Ghost in my life. This is the Spirit of God that resides in me. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's above all, through all, and He's in all. He is in me. This is the power that gives me the ability to overcome the world and overcome the enemy. It's the Spirit of God in my life. Praise God. And it brings the illumination and the power and the anointing as the musicians come tonight. Praise God. There are three seminal points, and this is very, very important for holiness because you will not, it will be very difficult to understand. Actually, not, not necessarily to understand. Any, anything that we talk about in terms of holiness has to make sense nowadays. Maybe back in a day, 
uh, you just, you do what I say to do because I said it. And that might have worked at some point, but people are, they, they want to ask the why question, the interrogative, why are you doing what you're doing? So you can explain that and you can have good conversations, but you will never be able to fully apply what you discuss if the Holy Ghost is not operating in your life. I mean, that's really the crux of everything that we've said here tonight. It was veiled. It could not be seen. Jesus revealed its power. But then he gave to us the Holy Ghost, which is the earnest of our inheritance. It is a small portion of how powerful he is, but it's still more powerful than anything else. And so if the Holy Ghost is operating in my life, it helps me understand the whole idea of holiness, the highway of holiness. It helps me understand separation. It helps me understand dedication and being set apart to God. Why? Because my thinking is totally different because of the Spirit of God that is in me. Man, there, there's, there, <laughs> there's nothing like somebody coming to God and, and, and God, God, through His Spirit, making changes in their life without anybody saying anything. You know, some, sometimes you're like, I, I'm not sure they're getting it, right? There's a veil there. <laughs> and you think over the course of time that... That, that some things might become clear, but there's just like a veil there. There's just, they're, not, they're not completely understanding or getting it. But if the Holy Ghost is really operating in somebody's life, there's going to be some changes that you make because you're not an old person anymore. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. And, and this is where it's, it's so sad. Ladies and gentlemen, this is so sad. This is where religion in our world has failed so miserably because you can't just keep doing the stuff that you've always been doing and still think that you're saved when the scripture is, is so adverse to that. No, we are saved from that through the empowerment of the Holy Ghost in our life. So we leave some of those things. That's what repentance is. Repentance is like, this is the way I was going. And I'm doing a 180 here and I'm going another direction because that direction is dysfunction. That direction is hell. I'm not going that way. I'm turning my face to heaven. And, 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 and you, it's going to be real, real hard to, to activate. You, you may understand. You may be able to disagree. Sometimes it's good to have conversations with people about boundaries and convictions and standards and separation just so that you can explain it. Those conversations are really good if it's not argumentative, right? If it's arguing, uh, it, it doesn't do any good to argue. You're not going to get anywhere by arguing. But if it's a good conversation, right? What you're, what you're trying to get to, if, if they're not going to activate some things in their life, is I don't agree with that, but I understand where you're coming from. Because what that says is I've articulated something, and, and that may not be their opinion, as they've said, but the reason why it's not their opinion is because the Holy Ghost is not operating in their life. And if the Holy Ghost is operating, there's going to be an activation that's totally different that changes their life. I thank God for the Holy Ghost. Praise God. I thank God for the Spirit of God. Amen. Praise God. So that's, that's really the crux of the matter here tonight is for God to continue to grow us and for us to move forward and the Word of God to impact our life. We've got to have the Spirit of God in us that produces the shine in our life. Praise God. Praise God. It's very fascinating and interesting that 
Moses, one of the most famous pieces of art is Moses. You have that? Yeah, you do. Go ahead, throw that up here. This is in uh, in a church not too far from the Colosseum in uh, Rome, and I've I've been able to see it twice. And I like to just stand in front of it. It's very large. It's absolutely amazing that you would, you you can see that someone would carve that out with marble and put that kind of detail in it. They say, tradition says, whether it's true or not, that Michelangelo at some point hit that and said, live. Uh, the other thing that's amazing is Moses was a ripped dude. I mean, look at those shoulders and biceps. My goodness. Uh, but he has horns on his head. So some have said, what, what in the world is that? And that's because Jerome... In the Vulgate, he translated very literally cornuda as horns, which is supposed to be radiant. <clears throat> and so uh, tradition is that Moses grew horns on his head because of the shine or the anointing of God. And that was a mistranslation by Jerome in the Vulgate, which ironically, when Michelangelo did this, he knew that that was a mistranslation because he did this in the 1500s. The Vulgate was, was much, much earlier. So he knew this. So it's caused speculation by some historians, art aficionados. Uh, there, was a, there was a strained relationship between Michelangelo and the Pope that commissioned him to do a lot of the work. They had kind of an adverse relationship. Michelangelo was receiving a lot of money and a lot of jobs from this particular pope, but he, he still didn't really care too much for the pope. Uh, and so there's uh, discussion about how that he might put some things in some of his stuff that was on purpose that nobody would know, and it was a reaction against the pope. So even though he knew it was not horns, they supposed that he put the horns to make a statement against the pope. It was like the devil himself. He also did something like that in one of the cherubs in the Sistine Chapel. He, he put a, a, a statement that was very derogatory that most people wouldn't know until you see it. So Moses has the, these horns, floppy horns. That's what's on his forehead. That's not his hair. It's these horns, supposedly, that he grew. We're not growing horns. When the Holy Ghost impacts us, we're not growing horns out of our head to reveal God's power. What's growing out of us? The fruit of the Spirit is growing out of it. Not horns, but the fruit of the Spirit that, that shines to a world around us. Praise God that there is something that is in fact different than the world. It's not the works of the flesh, and that's what the world promotes, and that's what comes out of the world. But through the Spirit and the anointing of God comes the fruit of the Spirit, and that is what shines out of our life. Praise God. We should pray that there is a free-flowing, and there's nothing that traps and stops God's illumination through us, because if we're going to reach the world, we got to reach a world with a shine. Praise God, a shine of the anointing of God and the ability of God.
God. I know life sometimes can get difficult, but that's not the point. The point is greater is the spirit in you than any area of life. Praise God. You need to lift up your head and your voice and you need to say, God, shine through me. Let there be an illumination through me. Praise God. Praise God. So the shining face is the importance of the word, the importance of God in Christ, and the importance of the new birth experience. First mention, the importance of the word is coming down with oracles. Second mention, it's God in Christ. It's Jesus himself. Third mention, it's the importance of the new birth experience. These are hallmarks or distinctives of apostolic truth and doctrine. There should be no veiling or masking, but there should be shamefacedness. The makeup of the church, I like this, this is really important. The makeup of the church should be spirit-driven, not cosmetological. The makeup of the church should be spirit-driven, not cosmetological. Amen. It's not what I'm putting on. It's what's shining through. Praise God. It's his anointing. It's his ability. It's his strength. Hallelujah. We stand together in the house of God. Why don't we pray here tonight? God, shine through me. Praise God. Shine through me. Our God is get it right. Praise God. But I pray that you would help each and every one of us. 